Fairbanks is a tough guy town. Shovel Lake is a tough guy town. I know you're stoked. I know you want to go out there and smash. This year's your big year. <laughs> there we go. Oh yeah, I get I get ribbed because I I brand it incorrectly a few times. Correct. <laughs> so but we're gonna fix you. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. It's a grip wax nation sensation. Tofty is a tough guy town. My baby is drama, mama. Don't like me. Doing things like having a wood. insane and OCD about every workout being like perfect and weighing your oatmeal in the morning. It's Shovel Lake Public Radio. It's a baby and not a paycheck. Private school, daycare, medical bills. I pay that. I love you, mama. These are. Grease under the fingernail parents that are working in garages and they want their kids to ski race because they ski race and they they look at the character these kids are getting, the grit they get from sports. Dig like Jesse! Anything's possible and this summer I am really looking forward to like just grinding and like I've talked with a bunch of fellow teammates and we are all like we're gonna hit this summer hard kick like clabo kick like clabo all right everyone welcome to the cedar skier podcast the third the fourth the fifth the sixth fastest and largest Nordic ski specific podcast in all of Lake County here. We're broadcasting live to you from Leadville, Colorado, 10,000 feet. You know, here we are. And the World Cup has now ended. The season's over. We thought we better get on right away because accuracy is not as important as timing. And we want to be first in line, get to the front of this mass start, right? Because if you don't, you're going to be trying to get around all those crazy slow citizens racers who don't know how to double pull at all. And you got to get out there. That's what we do in the podcast world. So we're so glad you could join us. It's great to have you with us here on Spotify or wherever. Maybe we should run the Spotify ad right away. Okay, I'll, well, yeah, did you hear? Ajay. Oh, Ajay's leaving now. She's walking out. I forgot. She has Sundays off. I gave her Sunday off, which is why we had the exact same intro music as last time. So I apologize if you come to the show every week expecting to be entertained by some new song and some new sound bites. We we really probably let you down. And honestly, if you keep listening, I would say there's at least a 73.7% chance we will let you down more with some of these takes. But you know what? Who cares? Who's coming with takes at all? No one. No one. Okay? Well, I mean, eventually some people come with takes. You know, you got Devin Kershaw show. That one's he actually maybe knows what he's talking about, and um, <clears throat> he's got a few takes. He'll bring them, but it's it's late. You know, we want to give you something that you can chew on while you're out for your Sunday long ski because this is when you got to start piling in those secret hours, okay? If you are training for the Berkey, this is when you can get in a sweet extra 150 hours while everyone else is taking April off doing who knows what. They don't they don't know what they're missing out on. We got spring crust skiing. We've got the Colorado Double where you can ski in the morning, mountain bike in the afternoon. Um, heck, just put on a pair of sorrel boots and start walking through eight foot deep snow like you're Alexander um, Carolyn, okay? That's good training too. Anything's good training if you're having fun. That's what I always say. Anyway, let's stick to the topic, stick to the show at hand. Today's show, we really want to 
talk a little bit about what happened here in Lauti in the over the weekend, the final World Cup. This this isn't going to be our like World Cup wrap up show. So if you are looking for some sort of you know, big time summaries and let's look at the season as a whole and let's break down the X's and O's here on ESPN.com. We'll save that. Okay. We're going to give it a little bit of time to breathe. And there's a reason for that. Actually, I thought it might be kind of a cool idea to give out some end of season awards. And so I want you, the listener to shoot me some emails, cedarskier at gmail.com. That's all lowercase S E D E R. S-K-I-E-R, almost forgot how to spell skier there, cedarskier at gmail.com. Send us an email with um, some of your nominees. You can also suggest categories. I'm all for it. I want to have a big time awards show where we give out our awards on the year. Now, obviously, I think we got to have the male performer of the year, the female performer of the year. Uh, We also need to have just like the race moment of the year. Um... Actually, after the break, I'm going to try and come up with all the rest of the categories. Those are the ones I'm thinking offhand. Uh, rookie of the year. Okay, some of the some of the standards. But we can also have a little bit of fun with it, okay? Like broken pole of the year, fall of the year, okay? Feed zone moment of the year. There's going to be a lot of mo- a lot of nominees for that one, I think. Uh, not going to lie. Uh, drama inside scandal of the year kind of thing. Uh, soundbite of the year. I think I already know what the soundbite of the year might be. Um, no, she's not even here right now, so I can't even play it. Well, I'll have to load it in later. Um, but anyway, all that stuff, send me an email for the categories that I throw out on this show. And also if you have got some other categories, shoot them my way. So that's, what's going on here. Let's, let's hop right into it. Discuss a little bit of world cup action. So first of all, Saturday, we had a sprint go down. I think the, there, there's two storylines here that really stick out to me. Maybe three, but I'd say more like a 2A plus, you know, 2B, 2C type stuff. The first story is, how about Moa Ilar, the Swede? So if you've been living under a rock, you're not aware. Yeah, actually, this is what I'm about to describe is most people in the world. But you, all of you listeners, you know what's been going on. Nadine Fandrich, the um, Sprint Globe leader for a lot of this year. Uh, she had a great first period and has been consistent throughout the year, honestly. She she is she's demonstrated excellent performance throughout the year. But Maya Dahlquist, I would say Maya Dahlquist, you know, from a sprinting perspective, like she's she I think might be the best pure sprinter on the women's side. I guess I can get to that a little bit more. But basically, you know, razor thin margins going into this final World Cup weekend and um both make the heats and Dahlquist in her quarterfinal Broke a pole coming around the final turn, and Ilar, um, with an unbelievable heads-up move to slow down because she was ahead of Dahlquist coming around this turn in second, I think. Ilar was second, I believe. So she's about to cross the line in second, slows way down, lets Dahlquist, one pole Dahlquist, come by uh, and take that second spot to move on to the semifinals. If she hadn't slowed down, Dahlquist would not have moved on to the semis, and ultimately, the Sprint Crystal Globe would have gone to Fandridge. Um, This was obviously an emotional thing. Uh, some of the press, I haven't really read all the stories, but just some headlines saw that this really, you know, Nadine took this pretty hard. I, I'm on a first-name basis, in case you didn't know. I'm like a lot of the announcers on Ski and Snowboard.live, first-name first basis with a lot of these female athletes. Oh, okay, that, sounded, that was the creepiest soundbite. That is not going to be soundbite of the year. Anyway. Fandrich was torn up about this. 
I, I think there was one at least translated quote, something about like, you know, hey, it is what it is. They've got a, a big team and they can do that. I'm on a smaller team without as much resources. In, and what I'm summarizing that essentially the idea that the Swedes had, you know, 10,000 10, people who make it into the heat. So if they pull that stunt, great. It's kind of an advantage that she just a luxury she doesn't have. So there's a lot of way to try a lot of ways to try and dice this up, honestly, because I mean, how do you how do you even approach it? Like there's a part of me that goes, well, first of all, the other thing, Ilar, I guess, was disqualified for like unsportsmanlike unsportsmanship or something. That seems ridiculous. Like, I don't know how you, you can't see you. I mean, we can all go, what was the intent here? This is what happened. She's obviously trying to save Dahlquist. How do you see that as unsportsmanlike? First of all, it's like the ultimate sacrifice uh, that we, that we've, seen here on the world cup the entire year maybe in the last like decade maybe ever that's just insane honestly um so i don't know how they get unsportsmanlike from that first of all it's a weird disqualification also it does nothing like if if you're gonna be some sort of fist overlord here and step in and go whoa 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 something's not right here i would think the thing that you would do is go dalquist you're dq'd like because you know this you wouldn't have made it you know you would have been third so we're gonna keep this is just ridiculous but you can't do that like it's not what happened so it, you got to just stay out of it and just observe it for what it is a teammate slowed up dog gets in and it's it has just some of the most incredible reverberations consequences that we've seen now i think the other point i want to bring up i think as far as moa goes another first name basis what a heads up move like it took me a while to see and recognize what was happening here how many of you in any race of any distance would have the wherewithal to do that much less a sprint in in the stadium where it's like loud too it'd be one thing if Dahlquist had like broke a pole halfway through and on a climb and Moa like rips off her pole and gives it to Dahlquist like I could see someone doing that you know and it's still an incredible sacrifice but this was like, I don't know, she, she's like far enough ahead where you, it makes me wonder, did, was there a coach or someone yelling at her like, whoa, 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 Moa, you got to slow way down, slow, you know, like get, let Dahlquist go by. Um, because I, I just have a hard time believing someone would have, who is that far in front, just looking at the finish line, would even have been aware of that. But the other thing too is think about how lucky that both of them were, that she could, like Moa, when she slows down, it's not like there was a third individual there from a different country who's like fighting for a spot you know because then Moa had to make some decision like do I have enough of a gap on that person to slow down and try and get Maya to cross oh sorry Maya you just can't figure this on your own I'm I'm going to the semis you know like there was no moment like that because both of them were far enough away it was just incredible uh just a a really remarkable moment I think I just want to like cherish it cherish um Ilar's unselfishness uh the the ultimate teammate move there and keep in mind if this was Jana Sundling, you know, letting Dahlquist in, taking it, giving up a spot, part of me goes, that's less of a sacrifice than Moa. Like, Moa Ilar has not, does, does not have a lot to, like, go home to in terms of medals, World Cup, podiums. Does she even have a single podium, actually? I don't know if she does. So, like, you know, if you're Sundling, you're fresh off the back-to-back world championship sprint titles and back-to-back team sprint golds like okay who cares it's lauti last race of the year i'm tired i want to go find a beach anyway so take it mile but like this is someone who is 
fighting, scratching, clawing for everything on a team that is incredibly deep, you know, and, and she's having, uh, she's had some bad luck, I think, too. Moliar was, if I'm correct, I thought in Falun somewhere, she kind of like qualified second. Was she the one who qualified second in Falun? Okay, I'm just spouting off misinformation, so I guess I'll look it up. Hold on, give me a pause here. Moa Ilar. Ah, uh, this we're staying live here, Shovel Lake Public Radio. So let, letting the sound tape go. It's a good thing we've got high speed internet. She's 25 years old, and in Falun, she qual. No, okay. Well, I guess I was off. Falun, she qualified 21st. Who is the one who qualified super well and then did not do well? Omoa Lundgren. Okay, I could be forgiven for that. Sorry, two Moas on one team? Good grief. Just goes to show the depth of the Swedish team, though, right? So Moa Lundgren was the one that qualified second in Falun, and then I think she fell in maybe the semi. I thought it was the same one with Kern, but um, either way, looking here at some of the results, the career information for Ilar, she's she's made 41 World Cup starts, okay? One World Championship start. One Olympic Winter Games start. That's kind of amazing, actually. What was her Winter Olympic Games start? Skiathlon got 45th place. So, yeah, just an incredible move. Dahlquist should be, like, if not donating that Crystal Globe to Moa, like, the bonus checks or whatever there is out there, I mean, goodness sake. You got to feel for Nadine Fandrich. Like, honestly, I don't know whose side of this I'm on. I I feel like I'm not going to take Nadine's side. I'm not going to take uh, my Dahlquist side because I got to take Moa's side. Like, it was just kind of one of those incredible, unselfish moments you don't see very often in sports and a combination of an incredibly heads-up moment, an incredibly lucky moment for Maya. Uh, it was all that stuff coming together, and it was it was pretty crazy. The second thing that happened in the sprints that I'd like to bring up is Swick's triac poles. How long are how many how many races are athletes going to go risking their their livelihoods on the Swix track? The just the ultra crazy like crazy stiff and like insanely breakable Swix track 4.0 and 3.0 too are, are pretty much the same way. Um, now I have a pair of Swix tracks 3.0s and I like them. I like how light they are and everything. But I even like. If it's if it's not you know a World Cup firm grooming job and I'm not like out by myself all alone, I typically do not use those Swix drags because you just feel like they're going to break. That's when you're skiing by yourself. When you've got the lauti turn to negotiate, you've got packs. It's in the World Cup. Like how many broken poles do we have? I think I counted three Swix tracks that went down, that hit the dirt, hit the dust. Um, over this weekend, and they were critical moments. And yes, Dahlquist was one. Um, Zach Ketterson was another. Ben Ogden avoided <laughs> crashing into someone else who lost their lives to the Swix track. It's just kind of crazy. And and I, I am I'm I'm reminded of this anecdote that maybe no one will be interested. In, but a, a while ago, this would have been four and a half years ago. I I threw. Or I had a, actually had a phone call. I think it was with Jason Albert. Uh, the old ed- editor of Faster Skier, and he was. It was a really fun conversation. We were chatting it up, um, and I brought up this idea of like, well, it's not an, a novel idea, but I was like, why don't you guys do you know product reviews on your site and like really try to deep dive this, you know? Because you see that on Runner's World at the time, you know, like those types of things. People are just 
they're nerds about their tech and their shoes. I mean, skiing's got way more stuff you could review. And it's interesting, like the Boulder Nordic, when they produce that magazine, it's helpful. But it, wouldn't it be kind of sweet if like you really, really had a um, in-depth review on all of the skis boots waxes tools all that stuff and like not just the stuff boulder nordic selling but just like everything just totally comprehensive here's the good and the bad of this thing um i think i <laughs> can't imagine nordic skiers would not want to buy it but unfortunately everyone's got you know their own agenda and they're kind of tied to well these are the brands we sell so i have to i'm gonna sound super biased i'm not even gonna talk about these brands blah 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 uh, but jason wanted comment and i don't know why i've never forgotten this but he's just like well pfft, like when it comes to poles, the track is the best pole by far. It's the best pole by far. You know, there's there's no one else is using anything else. And this was 2018, and I remember kind of like paying a little more attention to that and going, wow, there are there are a lot of tracks. And like on the in the EISA, it was like pretty exclusive. Um, all those top athletes used triacs. And now I'm looking at the World Cup going. Man, you know, you got Clavo doesn't use them. Lecky's got a really nice pole. There, and there's a lot of good skiers that use Lecky poles. Kruger, Clavo, uh, Katarina Hennig, um, um, Niskanen, not Evo. Evo uses Swix, but his sister, Kerto, uses um, Lecky. I, I don't know. Like, take a, take a peek at that. Like, how many skiers are using poles? And have we ever seen, have we ever seen a Lecky pole snap from anything except for, like, just an absolute mall collision. If if you have, and you can point me to it, like one of those other brands, Lackey, One Way, all that stuff, like, you know, getting smashed in kind of a stupid way. Yeah, I'd like to know because I kind of feel like um, the Americans have had some pretty bad pole luck. You know, like I can think of even um, David Norris at World Champs had a really unfortunate pole break that was kind of under the radar. Sophie Laukley, I'm pretty sure both of those are Swix athletes. Um, but yeah, this sprint, it was just nuts. It was uh, and, and it was such a high-risk environment. So my question to those World Cup skiers and to someone who might side, maybe back to Jason Albert, um, if Clabo isn't using a Swix triac, it's not the best pole, hands down. Okay, you might you might think it's the best pole, and that's a fine opinion to have, but if Clabo's not using it, sorry. And if Clabo can get away with not using it, it must be okay for him. Uh, so I don't know those lucky poles are kind of sweet and I love I, the other thing is the lucky grip like um, the strap grip combo it reminds me a lot actually of my United States ski pole company one this the US ski pole company um, uh, wrap like a strap it has more webbing I think which the more webbing the better in some regard, but I kind of think I kind of like Lecky's quality of their webbing. So if Andy Lieber is out there listening and (laughs) this is, by the way, you might go, well, Ryan, aren't you biased when it comes to poles? What about your, your sprinter van has United States ski pole company emblazoned on it. Hey, I'm, I'm, I don't have any like ties coming in. Okay. Andy Liebner is not giving me $100,000 a year to use United States Ski Pole Company Pole, just FYI. Okay, Andy hopefully is laughing at that comment. But I'm out there. 
a regular skier like you. I like using products that work and that I can get behind. United States Ski Pole Company is certainly that, but that doesn't let me. Um, I, I will definitely send Andy an email. And go, hey, here's something that I think you know is maybe wrong with our strapper. Uh, um, suggesting something, and I think I brought up even one time in a conversation with him, like we should maybe look towards doing those clip-on straps like Swix has, because at the time I was like, I really like the track 3.0 strap system. I think it it's nice how consistent it is. The feel of it on the swing feels good. Um, but I actually think the Lecky one might be the best. Like their quality of it, it looks more snug. The webbing is bigger. The the, the grip itself, I think is more durable. I, um, I, I've used my tracks before in very long sessions before, and I've noticed that, well, it's nice how light they are. Um, the strap hand combination is not the best that I've ever had. It's certainly not the best. And you can wear out those straps and then you're kind of done. Like when you're, when you wear it out and it starts to stretch, all of a sudden the clip thing isn't so great because you, you can't like snitch that up any tighter. So you're just kind of, well, I guess I got to buy a new strap now for 25 bucks. Um, so that's one, one issue with the tracks, but yeah, my, my other thing is like, what's the, what's, how is the lightness worth that risk when we see this happen a lot? And the ultimate is obviously bullshit. It cost him a 50 K world championship gold to you to lose his Swix, uh, track. And some people might say, I think that pole would have been clipped in any other situation. I don't know. I don't know. Like watch the slow-mo of bullshit pole. It's a lot of times tracks, the risky ones. It's like when they get pinched by skis, and you can say there's a lot of force. Well, yeah, any pole might snap at the exact right breaking point. But I think Swix, the triax, have such a small margin for error. It's uh, it's bound to happen way more often. So um, anyway, that's my takeaway from that sprint is I think athletes need to start reconsidering their loyalty to a pole that's just so, uh, it's so risky. And I could see, honestly, like in the Vasilopit ski classics, there's part of me that goes, maybe Swix should have more of a corner on the market there because then lightness, weight, all that starts to matter more if you're doing the exact same motion over and over again. And it's not like they're getting tangled up on crazy World Cup downhills. But look at Ski Classics. They're, the track does not dominate. Like There is a, there are a ton of lucky users, fair amount of one-way. Yes, there are Swix athletes as well. But um, I don't know. The pole market seems to not uh, be all Swix. Okay. Um Moving on from the sprint day, the Americans, do I have any notes here? Well, another thing I thought I should bring up, hats off to Tierra Unis Vang, you know, for her season this year and getting a podium, a sneaky third place in the sprint. I thought that was kind of amazing, to be honest, um, because she pretty much has this all wrapped up. She just kind of had to show up and have a pulse in both of these races, and she's going to walk with you overall. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that sewn up, but after the sprint, it really was. Um, and you know, Jesse Diggins in my one note I had here is I was kind of impressed with Jesse Diggins double pull finish where she was eliminated. She kind of made up some ground on whoever it was she was duking out against, but I think that's overshadowed by my general sentiment on American double pull form because another takeaway I think from the weekend as a whole is I just, I'm not pleased with our double polling and keep in mind, all of the criticism coming from me, this is coming from a guy who I double pull a ton. Yeah, my master's thesis was on double pulling, but I, my own double pulling, it probably looks like a mixture between like some guy, some hack taking a dump and trying to ski. I mean, I don't have like picture perfect form. I know it. Now, for whatever reason, what I do have seems to work in terms of volume and I'm, I'm an okay climber and all that stuff, but I'm not going to sit here and claim to be, you know, 
the double pole savant coach, you know? So, so if like Rosie Brennan or Jesse Diggins is like, okay, Ryan, if you're so mad with our double pole technique, why don't you show us how to do it? No, that's not me. But, but I'm here and I can armchair quarterback and go, something's not right. So as much as I was impressed with Jesse Diggins in the sprint and that finishing stretch, and you know, I'm always impressed by her effort and fire throughout all the courses to me, her double pole form from like the side shots that we saw in the sprint and on the uh, distance race, it sort of has a concept ski erg form uh, look to me. Like imagine that she is doing a ski erg workout and and I think you'll get what I'm saying here. And it's a little bit, her, her hands are too close at the point of like the high hand position. Uh, and she has too much of a follow through that's too armsy. That's the best way I can describe it. Like the best double polers are coordinating their entire core, hips, shoulders on through in one cohesive movement pattern, wherein they use their body weight to generate most of the force. And I feel like across the board from the U.S., our double pulling is very armsy. And in our and in fact, our classic striding is very armsy as well. Now, from a classic stride standpoint. This isn't breaking news here. Ivo Niskanen has has phenomenal technique, so he's a benchmark. But one thing that people do not bring up a lot about Niskanen, they will often say, oh, look at how long his stride length is. Okay, cool. Check out his shoulders. Niskanen's arms and shoulders, it is like um, if you had an Iron Man eye robot figure, classic striding, that's what Niskanen would be. What I mean by that is everything is straight, it's like down the track. There's no pronation, pigeon toeness angle, you know, inside or outside to to his arms. He doesn't have the Frida Carlson pigeon toe arm, for example. You know what I'm talking about, right? Her right arm, it like really hits the poles digging at such an angle. It's just insane how she can get away with that. Um, it's straight up and down. So the pole is striking the ground perpendicular. Um, if you fr- looked at a straight on, uh, you know, he, if he was skiing at you, his pole would be straight vertical. And not only would his pole be straight vertical, but then his hand, that point of connection is perfectly aligned straight with his shoulder. It's like this perfect straight line. And 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 he maintains that even though he's stretching out and kind of twisting his hips to, to elongate the glide, he maintains this... Um, very rigid, straight down the track, upper body. And he also does that in the double pull motion as well. I think Niskanen's double pull is a little more of the Vizma ski classics kind of. He he really like, he keeps his legs kind of straight, I, which I don't understand totally. When I see Vizma guys do that too, where they, they, their, their legs don't bend enough. You know, it's like, I, it looks almost painful from the back standpoint. It's like, why not just naturally bend your knees as it makes sense, which I think Clabo does a better job. Like Clabo's double polling is my favorite double pole form of anyone in the World Cup. Wow, shock, shock. You know, it's Clabo. But I don't I don't think that's a take that, you know, if, if someone was like, what's the what's the best aspect of Clabo's technique? I don't think a lot of people would jump to the double pole. And I would actually jump to that a lot sooner than other elements. I know he's got really great um, shin angles and his skating and it, he keeps the skis running straight down the track right he's very athletic his classic striding from the lower body on down looks great but his double pull it forms a core a core fundamental sub technique to all of the rest of his sub techniques it's very apparent like if you were to chop off Ka- Klabo a, a video 
chop off his you know his uh, lower body completely and just show the upper body motion it would be in you would not be able to tell if he's skating or if he's double pulling it's it, his upper body just has this locked in and he does a great job of um, flexing at the elbows so that his poles are close in and like they he's he's working from a place when he plants his poles of power production it's very good he's not reaching out in front too much he's not unnaturally wide he's just where it should be and he adapts that distance depending on the grade which is also something that you can tell um he's double pulled enough to understand that like that's something the people who aren't when the people who take double pull workouts seriously get that you know even if they're not like a double pull just total obsessive person and that's all they do ski classics wise or okay throw myself in the hat there even even if you're not that like clabo clabo has obviously paid attention to the terrain in all aspects whenever he's using any sub technique in any workout because he adjusts that hand position he adjusts his his shin flex all that stuff he adjusts that for the grade when it gets steeper he kind of leans in he sort of brings his hands closer so that he's not trying to leverage you know some sort of crazy body position up a steep hill he just he works with the terrain we don't do that at all and and a lot of people don't do that specifically like that's something maybe kind of unique to clavo but this is not something that is like unattainable i don't think i think it, i think the the main thing is double pull a little bit more and pay attention when you're double pulling like i sort of wonder if a lot of american clubs and on up they look at a double pull od as like this is the workout where we're gonna get off we're gonna get to write four hours in the spreadsheet and we can bring snacks on it because our heart rate's gonna stay low and our breathing's not gonna be very high that's that's what they think of double pull workouts you know it's like is that lazy workout we'll go down to some flat lake road and we can talk and it'll be truly l1 and it'll be four hours like that's just no what on earth you know like first of all any four hour roller ski to me is kind of ridiculous any four hour workout of anything except for a bike ride is kind of ridiculous if you're doing it to be honest but like i mean i, I in the summer i rarely go over two hours now I, I don't often go under 90 minutes i'm always kind of in that zone and i might go up to two and a half hours but double pulling like I don't, I don't need to go for four hours and double pull to get a good workout and to develop that. But I do think it's important to kind of pay attention. And I, I don't think it's super valuable to double pull really slow a lot. I think there's a time and a place for it, certainly. And to be honest, if you are going to double pull L1 and have it be a true recovery day, then you should go down to the lake and have it be super flat and like, and make it so you're not straining yourself. But when you're climbing and you're double pulling, which is okay to do, you don't have to classic stride all the time. You can also climb double pull. I, I don't think you should try to keep a heart rate low because I think it does mess up your pole plant timing. Uh, it basically it messes up your kinetics. So all of the pole characteristics are are have to be adjusted if if like heart rate is your litmus for an uphill double pull. Okay, so Jim Glanis, before you start typing me an email, right? Like I'm talking, if you are going uphill on a double pull and you're, you're trying to keep your heart rate in check to me, I go, why even do that workout? If you want to keep it easy, go down and do something flat. But if you're going to climb and it's going to be double pull, then just know the workout should be a little bit harder because you want to keep those pull characteristics, um, trained 
semi-close to what it would be like if you were also going all out or racing, not not like level five, but like a, a marathon pace. You don't want you you want to train some of that neurological firing, I think. And, and so kind of going back to this discussion, and I'm sorry, I'm skipped, skipped into it, but this was a big point, I think, from the weekend is, yeah, our double polling on the American side, there's something, uh, there's something awry. And it's kind of across the board, like in the men's 20K classic, it's just so apparent how we lose spots, we lose ground on some of those flat rollers at the top of hills. And yeah, some of, some of this happens in the stride areas too. But I always think that the striding deficiencies can kind of be tied back to just this misunderstanding of sub-technique usage. You know, like, because um, you, you see you see some of our Americans, sometimes they, they shift into sub-techniques at times when I don't think they should. Whereas, like, the leaders, the Niskanens, the Klabos, they are double-polling when it's the fastest sub-technique, and then they're classic striding when that is the fastest sub-technique. And the only time they're kick double-polling is when they're just chilling out doing, like, total nonsense because kick double polling is never the fastest technique is it i don't i don't think it is like for these high level male athletes it should never be the fastest sub technique you should be able to double pull and, and hold a double pull pace that's faster than a kick double pull and if it's steep enough you should be striding like the kick double pull is you, there's not enough rpm um to it you know you're not you're not putting force impulse into the ground with a kick double pull frequently enough on an incline so to me the kick double pull is sort of that that's an archaic sub technique it's great to know it's great to use i love using it but it's for it should almost be reserved for like workouts only whenever i see an athlete kick double pull more than once in a race like it's okay again on turns transitions i think there's maybe a place for it but if you see someone like kick double pulling up a hill i'm always i'm always like throwing my hands up in the air like that you must not be going all out because there's no excuse to not be able to double pull at the pace that you are kick double pulling or faster. And if it's so steep, then you should be striding and you should be better at striding than it. Does that make sense? But anyway, I think the deficiency of the double pull kind of has um, um, clouded some of our athletes' minds of like where these transitions actually make sense, it seems like. So yeah, you just... I don't know. And, and I could be way off on that. Maybe that take is, is, is not correct, but there's just something to it where I think when I watch the leaders in these class, uh, classic master at races or whatever, or individual starts too, like there is so much intentionality to the sub technique usage on any given terrain for the very best in the world that there's no room for error. Like it should be double pulling. It should be classic striding at just the right times. And if you switch at the wrong time, it's going to cost you places. And I think it does ultimately over the long run. Um, so that was kind of, uh, the, I guess, the technique observation. Wow, what a, what a long rant that was too. Maybe a little bit too long, but good good thing we're live here on Shovel Lake Public Radio. Good thing it's a Sunday and the Minnesota Orchestra will probably close things out afterwards. The Minnesota Orchestra coming on live on Shovel Lake Public Radio in about an hour and a half. But we have to continue with our show. And um, let's see, where are we at? Oh, yeah, final sprint notes, I guess, going back all the way back to the sprint. Just some more American bad luck, huh? You know, Zach Ketterson had um, the pole mishap. He seemed like he was really having a great day. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he would have gotten into the next round, but you never know. And and he's another one of those athletes, I think, that certainly could be an all-rounder. I hope he doesn't, like, pigeonhole himself into going distance only. I think I think he definitely could be someone that if these distances stay what they are, man, he's got to be a threat in all these. And, and he could be a true all-around skier, too. Like, at his very best, 
probably his ceiling, you have to think, is someone who threatens to qualify for finals in a sprint anytime there's a sprint and should be almost a lock for a semi, um, kind of like Kern is right now. And then on the distance side, you know, should be pining for top tens. And if he can do that, he's going to be an overall um, globe threat. I mean, that's he's a far cry from that in the statistical realm right now. But I think a lot of the takeaways he must be having this year's too is like, Man, I had a lot of weird things happen, like the ski incident in Toll Block. Was that that was Toll Block, I believe? The pole thing here. Um, it's just, you know, I think he's had some bounces go not not the way that he would have liked. I don't know. He he seems like an intimidating intimidating individual, and I think there's a lot more to come from him. I think he he's probably our second best overall prospect on the guy's side right now. Maybe, you know, JC has, has, um, he could be, I think JC has, is the dark horse for being the most exciting next year on the guy's side, because if he could take another jump, I think he has the explosiveness to be like a serious sprint specialist, sort of our Eric Volness, you know? And I think, um, so he, he does it. He excites me and intrigues me. Ketterson sort of excites me and intrigues me. Ogden is already, you know, as we highlighted on the last show, he's a highlight reel waiting to happen. And speaking of all the bad luck that we had happen, how about Ben Ogden coming in and and for the first time all year avoiding the bad luck? When I saw him avoid the crazy fall, I was just like, in my head thinking, this is the day. This is the day where Ben Ogden gets on the on the podium uh, you know i just and and yeah it didn't happen but like that was pretty and i think maybe in his mind too he was like oh my gosh somehow i didn't have the crazy unlucky thing happen to me right here you know like uh yeah that was a hot that was a crazy moment um moylanin oh he was moylanin was the one who was the um guy who switched from four cad poles to swix poles Terrible decision. That's going to cost him. I guarantee it. At some point, Moylanin will break a Swigs pole. Forkhead producers will be going, why? Why? I'm glad. Are you happy you have that 0.05 gram lighter pole? <laughs> Forca- actually, Forkhead's poles, I I think, I thought their newest black codes were the new lightest pole. I could be wrong on that. But if you are wondering where the actual lightest pole in the world is, Andy Liebner claims that he has that, his own personal pole that he created. So you can go back and listen to our podcast where we interview Annie Liebner. It's in the, um, the show history notes. So what else do we got here? Sprint. Um, Oh, oh man, here's, here's a note, a big one. How about, um, uh, the fact that apparently, apparently not that many people listen to our podcast because our last show where we pointed out emailer guy from golden Colorado points out the height of Shestad. And how broadcasters are bringing it up, and I almost crapped my pants and laughed out loud at the same time when it was here's she said all six foot three of her, you know, and and then Keegan Randall's like, yeah, only in Norway would a six foot three person like not end up playing basketball, you know, they'd end up skiing. Um, first of all, there's no way she's dead is six foot three. If you like, I'm six one, six two, and if I was out there. Uh, in the World Cup, like in that women's sprint, he like I would have looked like Goliath, and Shestad does not look that tall. I feel like she's maybe five eleven, you know. And and if you're five foot eleven in real life, you put on boots and you get on skis, and some guy measures you at six one, and then they write down six three because they think it's going to be intimidating. That's probably what happened. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's not good, right? Apparently, they, maybe they need to listen to the podcast a little bit more. Now I will say I'm in a I'm in a 
praise Keegan Randall right now because I don't know if you guys were watching in the men's 20K on the broadcast. They decided it was a great time to talk about Norwegian dominance and um, have a little uh, talk show for like 15 minutes on that. And I thought that Keegan Randall's, um, when, when she was sort of led into a potential answer of Norway being so good, we need to step in and do something. Someone needs to step in and do something. I, I liked her response to that. It was sort of a part one, pump the brakes, okay? There's been periods of other countries being dominant, the Swedes in the 80s, Norway stunk, stuff like that. Actually, I think Chad brought up that historical anecdote, but after Keegan sort of said other countries have been dominant um, and, and also sort of said, hey, you know, go get better. Like, hopefully this motivates other other countries to go get better. Um, so good good on her. Why, why is it that our Nordic ski community has to be, has to always have such like these strange, you know, socialist, communist type takes when it comes to competition? Like, you know, wait a minute. You're too good. We need to bring you back to the pack. Everyone must be equal. You know, like they are looking at, they are looking at equality. They're looking at equal outcomes, right? That's, that is the, that's the goal is whatever it takes to have equal outcomes. I'm sitting over here and I know I sound like someone from the Daily Wire probably just paid me a hundred grand to say this, but sorry, I'd rather see equal opportunity. Let the results be what they what they are. Um, but we don't need to like do what must be done to have equal outcomes. Equality, let's 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 strive for equality of opportunity and um and free open market of ideas. Now, Norway, um, well, before I before I even get beyond that, I think it's kind of worth unpacking what makes a country really good at a sport like cross-country skiing. I think we have to recognize that, and the reason I think it's important is maybe there's some things we can actually do, you know, to catch up and not have it be like sanctioned things where someone's stepping in and handcuffing Johannes Klabo. You know, we don't, that, that how terrible is that too? Like if, if we made all these rules and regulations, then at one World Cup, like tomorrow, the top 10, there's one Norwegian and, you know, there's some random guy from like Andorra who takes the win and, you know, Zach Ketterson is in second, a Canadian's in third, and Clavo's like 70th. Like, do you really think Ketterson and the Canadian and the Andorra guy are going to really feel like they were better than those guys on that day if it's, you know, like some sort of total, I don't know. So what makes a country great? I think one big thing that Norway might do well is they have that good coaching aspect. They have coaches who are coaching their three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds and third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh graders um, who were also very good skiers themselves. And, and even if they didn't accomplish a lot, like from a fist point standpoint, they are, they are proficient skiers. They have good technique. So that aspect of coaching, I think is maybe the most important thing because a lot of the other things are just, it comes down to like desire and discipline. But if you have someone who is training you at when you are at the most malleable age, who is an expert, you, you are set. You are set. You know, like, yeah, it, it, even as simple as like handwriting. You know, if, you're, if your mom would have taught you how to hold a pencil just like a really bizarre way, you would have been just hamstrung the rest of your life, you know? And cross-country skiing is a lot more technique than writing um, letters. 
So Norway has a huge advantage there. I also think when it comes to coaching, they might have a leg up on the training methodology. And I know there's some people probably who listen to the show who think that's the real difference. I'm way less um, on board with that. I think training smart is important. And I think also, that being said, the science of physiology in sport is, is um, th- there's a lot more to be done to know anything conclusively and bulletproof when it comes to like what actually makes sense, what works. And, there, and, and my only, you know, the best, the best evidence of that, honestly, is look at how many different people train differently and still achieve world-class performance. So obviously, you know, whether it is we just don't know as much as we think we know about physio- physiological principles or the fact that humans are so different one-to-one individually that even if we do think we know something about physiological principles, applying them to different individuals is a huge part of the game and a huge part of the equation. So, but, but it's still something to be said. Like, I think, I think there's some core, probably really basic principles that, that some countries apply better than others. So training methodology is big and education. I kind of could lump that into coaching altogether. I also think culture, we kind of talked about this on another show where like culture, um, extends, you know, how many, how many world cups are you, is your nation hosting? How many young kids get to see their heroes and how many of those ski heroes are pedestalized and idolized in the country as a whole? Um, because that does drive the population in a certain direction. We have in America, millions and millions of our most athletic kids from a very young age on the playground. They're aspiring to be the next Patrick Mahomes. They're aspiring to be the next Kevin Durant. They're not aspiring to be the next Johannes Klabo because they don't even know who Klabo is. Um, that, that piece of the puzzle is interesting because I feel like the U.S., well, you could say, oh yeah, just more advertising, better stuff like that. We should get an event here. Some of those things I think are, it's a good, it's a good point, Ralph, you know, like that's a good point, Ralph. And, and I think on the fifth side of things, I mentioned this before, it's like bring some dang world cups to North America. Honestly, it's from a fairness standpoint, it makes sense from a promoting the sport. It makes sense. And it is going to help bring these other countries, um, catch them up. And the U S is, by the way, weren't we third in the nation's cup or something like that? Like, it's not like we're 20th out of 24 countries in this here you know so i don't know i think it's got to be in fist's best interest to promote more of that stuff but i can't i can't say us and snowboard you should be having like you know banners and posters of jesse diggins in in houston and dallas too it's like that doesn't really it's our, our country's different you know i do think in minnesota wisconsin vermont the, the new england regions as a whole the west these places that are alaska hot pockets of skiing you know, like maybe there's more that could be done there to promote the sport, but I don't know. I, I don't know enough, don't know what the limitations are to really say that, but that's definitely a piece and it's kind of an undergirding element, I believe. Um, oh, here's another one. And this one, it's a little bit more dicey here. So if you, on the first three were like, oh, wow, Ryan, you're such a genius. Not this one. You might go, wow, Ryan, you're a conspirator. You're a conspiracy theorist. I see. What about good skis? How important is that to nation's performance? I mean, we know it's important for performance individual comparison-wise between athletes, between countries. Do we have any reason to believe that, like, the best ski brands... Well, 
you always hear, right? Clabo's got the first pick of the litter when it comes to Fisher. He's always going to have Fisher's best skis. Why? Because he's the best skier. Makes sense for them to give him the best skis. He's also the best looking, so it makes sense, right? Christy, my wife, told me to put in that last part. I'm just kidding. She didn't. Oh, side note, Novi said Clabo the other day. I forced her to. I We're watching skiing. She's sitting on my lap, and I'm like, Clabo, Clabo. And she's like, Cabo. It's great. So she can now identify Johannes Clabo. She's got a massive vocabulary. Clabo is one of them. And she's closer to pronouncing it correctly than most Americans are. Okay, back to that. Skis. What, wouldn't it make sense for, like, Fisher to also just in general give the best skis to the country of Norway as a whole? Like, not just their national team, but just... All of the Norwegian stores that, you know, their gear west, they would have better skis than get sent to Canada. It's it's closer. It makes sense to like to, uh, you know, if Norway is going to be the number one or not just Norway, right? Norway, Finland, maybe even Russia, whatever those countries that are very historically ski rich countries, they're going to be buying a lot of skis. They're the most excited about it. They're the ones with the big billboards with their ski stars on it. So I think those ski companies would generally cater to those nations. I don't know. I just, I was kind of wondering if there is, if they're in cahoots together. And if that's the case, you know, if companies are basically incentivized to have Norwegian skiers be good because that's where the fans are, well, that's kind of unfair. It makes sense, but it's kind of unfair. Um, and that's maybe the best way of putting it is when it comes to the national team, Fisher's going, okay. Do we want to have um, like some random guy in a country that doesn't care at all about skis use our very best skis? Because even if he wins, it's not really going to help us much. No one in that country, no one in Chile is going to be buying skis. Sorry, Chile. You know, like, but if we have five Norwegian athletes who are winning medals, then, you know, we know that though that fan base is huge. So it helps our overall sales. Um, and, and I think that's partially why, you know, Diggins obviously has earned a lot of her success, but she's also just extremely marketable and she's famous. So it makes sense now where Solomon is going to give her the best skis, you know, but it's interesting. Like why wouldn't Solomon go, oh man, we love the U S too. Let's just come alongside every single American skier. Well, because they're, they are aware of the fact apparently that that wouldn't really help their bottom line. But maybe it would like maybe maybe a company's got to go more that route, like go, OK, I'm I'm going to try and be the ski brand company of all of Canada and the U.S. So we're going to give you guys the top the top skis. And there's got to be some guys with talent, right? I mean, Diggins comes along and does well. And Solomon, look at how much Solomon has grown from Jesse Diggins performance. It's crazy, you know. OK, so that's the other thing. Um, Yeah. I think I had grassroots coaching on there, but honestly, that's, that's, I already mentioned that. So where can the U S kind of start to pick up some steam here? I think, um, I think obviously they need to form their own ski company and make it as powerful as Fisher and, uh, and have new technologies. No, just kidding. For those of you kind of who are more veterans of the sport and been watching it longer than me too, I, I think there, I think there's potential space for pushback here of like, well, don't you think skis were important back in my day? Like what we weren't griping about all that. Yeah. I think the idea that ski speed is determined by ski quality, grinds and wax, that combination, you know, has been around longer than the last year. But every time we develop 
um, the actual construction of a ski in a technological way, that exasperates that gap, I believe. So like, well, and, and uh, this is just me throwing it out. I could be totally wrong there too. Maybe, maybe when everyone was on wooden skis, like the best pair of wooden skis was way better than the second best. I don't know. But part of me wonders and would assume that like as technology advances, it's kind of an exponential growth thing. So like if you're on a 2007 pair of skis, that's kind of average and some other guys working on a 2023 and it's the best one in 2023, like it's going to be just that much better. Um, so any quality gap between, and you know, whatever Sammy Smith brought over from the U S as a 17 year old stud, you know, is probably going to pale in comparison to the, um, to whatever Kertu Niskanen is working with, you know, cause she's established and sponsored and professional and whatever that that's just my hypothesis. I could be wrong on that, but, um, okay. Enough of that though. The dominance conversation, it was kind of interesting also in this race, the men's race anyway. Um, at the end, how on earth did Goldberg slide up so seamlessly? I feel like that was the story of his entire year, you know, where he would just come out of nowhere. He takes the distance globe, and um, despite Klabo winning in just complete dominant form, um, and there's a couple things I want to talk about here. I think we need to. I think we need to look at side by side Goldberg's distance races versus Klabo's distance races. So let's pull that up quick. Okay, so I'm looking at the handy-dandy Distance World Cup spreadsheet here on FIS. It's available on the FIS website if you go to the results page for this last Lauti 20K. It's one of the downloads. And it's kind of a, an interesting visual to see this. First of all, Diedrich Tonseth gets third of the distance, and he's not 80... What is this math here? Like 89 points behind Klabo. That's crazy. Tonseth didn't even race in the first two distance races on the World Cup. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's take a look at it. So first of all, Klabo wins the first two events and Goldberg gets second in the first two. That was the Ruka 10K interval star classic 20K pursuit free. Um, Klabo takes the victory, Goldberg in second. Then Lillehammer, this is, you could argue (laughs) Klabo just blew it here, right? He didn't, didn't compete in the next three events. Goldberg goes sixth. And then first plus a 16-point bonus, and then another first. And that really lost it. You know, like Klabo, no points, no competition there. Tonseth, by the way, second, a fourth, and a second in those races. So he kind of got himself into the picture. Um, But interestingly, from there, from there, Klabo really owns Goldberg. And in the old scoring system, he would have walked away with the win no matter what. Okay, we've got tour to ski distance races, which the wins are only 50 points here. So that's one thing. But in Valmuster, 10K Pursuit Classic, Klabo first, Goldberg second. Oberstorf, 10K Interval Start Classic, Klabo gets first, Goldberg gets fifth. Oberstorf, 20K Pursuit Free, Klabo first, three firsts in a row. And Goldberg gets sixth. By the way, Goldberg also didn't race the um, before the Tour de Ski, the Davos 20K interval start free, and Klabo got fifth in that. So he scored 80 points. So he did make up some of the ground with Goldberg sitting out there. But we're working here on three firsts in a row. Goldberg went second, fifth, sixth. Then the 10th distance of the year, Val de Fieme, 
Klabo, of course, wins again. Goldberg gets another. Uh, oh, Goldberg second in that race. So Klabo, first, 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 to four straight first. Then we have the climb. Klabo got sixth in that climb, and Goldberg got 18th. The next race, we move to Le Rousse. Uh, the 10K interval start free. Goldberg did beat Klabo, but a fourth to an eighth. And then the next day, Klabo took some serious bonus points in the classic mass start. So he gets 130 points, wins the race. Goldberg gets sixth, got some bonus points too, but only scored 95 points. Then we move to Toblach, where Goldberg gets just, um, he won. So this is his, what, third win of the year. Okay. Third win of the year for Goldberg. And his last win of the year. And Klabo was on the podium there. He got third. And then these last two distance races, Klabo gets seventh. Goldberg gets ninth in Falun. And then today, Klabo wins. Goldberg gets fourth. So Goldberg has three wins. One, two, three, four, four seconds, five seconds, five seconds, three wins. And on the other side, Klabo has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins. Nine wins <clears throat> and a third and a fifth and a sixth and an eighth and a seventh. Like he ne- never finishes outside of the top 10. It's just incredible for Klabo. Um, I wonder if that eighth is his lowest finish. He had that eighth place. Um, in the race in La Russe, interval start free. I don't know, but I mean, when you're comparing it like that, it to me it seems like the person that deserves the distance globe is Klabo. I mean, kudos to Goldberg, and, and Goldberg had a good year. He was consistent this year. Um, so and and again, sneaky. He was he was always sneaky. This isn't the first time where he's like pulled off a podium in a sneaky fashion. And he did this in the sprints too, where you'd think, oh my gosh, he's not even gonna get out of out of um the first quarterfinal. He'd be in sixth. I think Le Rousse was the one where that struck me the most. He kept hanging back and then he would finish very, very strong and somehow pull himself into the next round, pull himself into the next round, and then get on the podium or get a fourth. I mean, he was he was consistently chalking up points, no doubt about it. But I just think if you have, what did I say, nine wins? I mean, it's just insane. Like, that that person should be the, the distance. And it's kind of too bad for Klabo that he would be the distance. He's been robbed of a couple of globes when you think about it. The COVID year, the Norwegians didn't race. That was after he won, you know, the first four globes possible for himself. 2017, 2018, 2019. Wait, is that three? Did he... Someone go to the Klabo Wikipedia page. Ah, uh, Klabo. How many globes does he have? Yes, yeah, Sprint. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. He won all those. Then 2021, when they came back after COVID, you know, the COVID year, he got eighth, and they like didn't even compete until you know mid-January. And then last year, of course, he should have won again, but he had the COVID thing, and um, Juve pulls off the miracle, so he gets a second, and then he wins this year. Like He should have had that one for sure. His best distance finish in the overall standings, he was third last year. I think he, so. He obviously takes second this year. Um, you you could argue that you know he should have had a full sweep of all the podiums. I don't think anyone is well. Probably Mir Bjorgen has done that, but we could look that up, I suppose. Yeah, Bjorgen did it in two thousand five and two thousand and fifteen as well. Um, one other Klabo note that is is grinding my gears. <clears throat> um, 
the fact that he is he tied Teres Johag for the most World Cup wins in a season with 20 is being thrown out there as the stat. And I'd like to point out that Teres Johag, in the year she did that, had three tour wins um, that counted as tour wins. So going in here, because I, I was looking at this last night, it's the 2019-2020 season. She won the first two um, events in Ruka. And then the overall standing. So there's her first, you know, um, tour World Cup win that counted as a win. Klabo, by the way, did have the tour to ski. So that counted as one of his World Cup wins. But it was just one. So, like, he won 19 races and had the tour to ski overall, which is 20. Whereas Thres Johag won, I think it's 17 here. Just let me look again because there was a few. So, so she won the Ruka opening, the tour to ski, which is a second one, the fifth ski tour, which was in February, so that's a third one. And is that it? I believe that's it. Okay, so three. Just want to check that. Yeah, tour to ski, Ruka, the Nordic opening, and then that. So really, like, if you're if you want to get technical here, like she won seventeen and then had three that weren't actually races, whereas Klaba had nineteen and then one. I think that's a fairly significant stat, like to to point out. And I wish Fists had a better way of counting World Cup wins. I I don't think an overall should count as a World Cup win. I think that's bizarre. Like the Tour de Ski, winning the Tour de Ski shouldn't count as a World Cup win because the World Cup is like a, a race. You know, a World Cup win should be a World Cup win from a race, in my opinion. Um, so I think the fact that some of these other athletes have these wins from tours is kind of bizarre to begin with we don't even have these tours anymore like or someone should say oh Clabo, you have the ruka opening win too and and that's not on there so i don't know i think that's something that needs to be changed but at least at a minimum needs to be noted on this show and we're the only show that's going to do that here um my slow-mo comes from the men's race by the way the sport hill slow-mo just go watch the end it's really quick he'll go lapaloose taking his poles and then chucking them down at the ground. I thought that was kind of funny. It seems like he did that bad. I don't know what happened to Hugo uh, during the race. He was up in the mix. Maybe he was just mad that he you know, was in the fight. At one point on the last lap, he was in the lead. So that's kind of crazy. But he slid to like 18th or 19th and uh, chucks his poles on the ground. That'll show him. That'll show him. Um, yeah. I thought it was uh, another note I have here on that guy's race. Kind of interesting to see Clabo take the move there randomly on lap three and create a gap um keegan i thought it was kind of astute going oh maybe he's just bored of winning every other way that that is honestly what i thought after she said that i was like that's brilliant that is probably true and then i was like at the end i wonder if he was literally just kind of doing some course recon mid-race like can i pull away from these guys on the last lap right here (laughs) and then he did that so like Maybe that's what it was, actually, and I don't know. Someone can find that out. Maybe they'll ask him, like, what were you doing there randomly creating a gap? Uh, How sweet would it have been, though, if he would have won by two minutes? I think they should add some bonus there for, like, if you win a race by over two minutes, you get an extra 10 World Cup points, like in a mass start. Actually, maybe any race. You know, they should throw that in, too, as an incentive to to kind of break up some of these, you know, sit-and-kick-type ski races. On the uh, the girls' 20K, sorry, didn't really have any notes on that. Obviously kind of cool to see Calvo win 
and close the season off well. Um, Sunning grabbing the podium. I think I think the headline of that race, though, honestly, is Tirlunas Vang. You know, just coming through a great season, winning the overall, and she really was consistent. And you go back and listen to us. We were talking about it. I know um, my good friend of the podcast, Martin Yunsrud Sunbi, who I've, I've, we've never actually had him on the show, but he, he was the one, the, the take of, hey, you can't really try and do everything here. You can't try to be great at Worlds and try to go with the overall and all that. And, you know, while Tirta Unis Vang didn't win three golds at the World Championships, she had a good showing at the World Championships. And I don't think there was anything like where, where related to her being sapped from the year. She did have to kind of come back from an illness, I think. But whatever, that could happen no matter what. I don't think like sitting out a random 5K one weekend is going to really make the difference. Um, so if you look at her year, I think, you know, it's impressive. She kind of proved the doubters wrong and proved the naysayers wrong, proved all the people that were just downplaying her early success wrong. And it's important to just uh, recognize that. And I think she's going to be someone who will be, you know, a prominent figure. Like if you're looking ahead already at next year, and I probably shouldn't be doing this because I want to save some content here for our official awards show looking ahead. But one of my first thoughts as Tyrrell accepted that globe was, I think, I think Frida Carlson's going to take that next year. <laughs> well, okay. So that sounds counterintuitive, but I mean, I think, I think Vang is going to be a serious threat for the next five, six years in this arena because she really doesn't have a total weakness and that, and that's what it takes. If these point systems remain what they are, um, she has a good shot. I don't think if it was how it was before, you know, and you, and wins really matter a lot. I think she, she would struggle more because she did benefit from the fact, what was the stat thrown out there? I think she only won like one world cup this year. Um, so that, that might play into it, but Part of me thinks that Frida Carlson will be the big time player next year because it's just, it's time, you know, like she, she kind of, I feel like this year was all about, I gotta, I gotta win one of these tour de skis. And I feel like we see this happen where athletes, you know, they have these big check marks, you know, to define a career. You got to win a global medal. Then you have to win a global gold medal. Then you have to win the tour to ski. Then you have to win the overall. Like if you can do those things, then your career is legendary. And for Frida, she's the mega talent. She has, you know, a lot of those things. She does not have the overall globe. And she has the talent to do it. I think obviously the biggest thing for her is staying healthy. She seems to be the type of athlete that when the fire is hot, it is burning very, very hot, but the flame does not last. So, you know, I think next year her and Eva Anderson, it's, it's going to be a dogfight between those two because what is there really for them to fight for? No world championships. So everyone's going to be all in on the overall standings. I think those two, whereas we saw them kind of sit out randomly here at the end of the year, um, I think they're going to be primed to go the distance and make it, make it something interesting. And we saw Eva Anderson in the race today. Um, what place did Eva get? What was our podium here? I'm saying the winners. Oh, yeah, it was Hennig. So Sunling in second, Calvo first, Hennig gets fourth, Eva was fourth, or sorry, Hennig third, Eva fourth. Yeah, that was actually a very diverse podium. I now remember watching that. I mean, like, oh, Norway, Sweden, Germany. Excellent. We have, and all is right with the Nordic ski world because we have so much diversity. Um, diversity of nations. It's excellent. Um, and the top American finishing in there was Diggins in 22nd, Brennan in 23rd. I mean, we got to give a shout out. I don't, I don't think they really care about it being a shout out, but Rosie Brennan, Jesse Diggins, 
leading the way in those globe standings. And what a great, great season from Jesse Kern or <laughs> Jesse Kern from Julia Kern um, to kind of usher in this next wave. I, it is a little bit concerning to me to some degree to go, what happens if like, you know, Jesse and Rosie are, are like gone tomorrow, you know, next year. I guess it won't probably happen, you know, but Jesse Diggins hasn't really said like, I'm going to ski for six more years and then be done. She's not, she's not super young anymore. Diggins will be what, 32. So, you know, what, what do we have coming up here? Cause if it's just goes right to Julia Kern, she's going to be, she's a great piece to the puzzle. And I think she has potential to be even more than that. Um, but she's she's a nice piece when you have someone like Diggins, who's an all-around threat, and you've got someone like Kern or um, uh, Brandon, who is also really a metal threat almost any race she's in. Uh, we, we we need to enjoy this, I think, as American fans. Like we have a great situation going, and it's not like we don't have any young up-and-comers. You know, Novi McCabe and Sophia Lockley have flashed brilliance as well, and Novi had a good distance race here this weekend, so that's all good. It's just. Um, you know, it, it seems like a cross country skiing, like there's such a big jump from having good domestic results, good NCA results, and a couple of good World Cup results to being like in the conversation for the top 10, you know, and, and Ogden's really made this jump happen kind of like, whoa, there it is, you know, but others, even like Kern has, has battled through, uh, you know, tough seasons, like she's endured seasons on the World Cup where she's learning and and now she's finally kind of like rising up to the top. So maybe it's, maybe it doesn't have to be as big of a learning curve for every athlete. You know, maybe McCabe comes in and just starts tearing things up. <laughs> I guess you never really know, you know, where these athletes are once they kind of leave their current life and they can grow another year and make a big jump. But I, I don't know. It's hard to, I guess we'll have to save that for our next show where we'll like deep dive the state of the United States team. But for now, let's actually... Um, Hop down and listen to Jesse Diggins and what she had to say after the 20K earlier today. Hey, this is Jesse Diggins answering questions from the last race of the World Cup season. Um, how does it feel to be top three in the overall and distance standings? I'm really, really proud of that. Um, this is my third year in a row that I'm top three, and it, I think, speaks to really incredible support from the team. Um, a lot of hard work and consistent training, but also just amazing hard work and consistent work from all of our volunteer staff, our coaches, our um, our wax techs who are working so, so hard every single day. So that's really, really, really cool. Um, I'm really proud of the year. And uh, do I have a favorite memory from this season? Yes. Um, I think my favorite memory was winning the bronze medal with Julia and the team sprint at world championships. That was so, so cool. It's been so wonderful to see her just gaining so much confidence and experience and power and tactics. And it's been so, so cool um, as her roommate and friend and teammate. So that was incredibly special. Um, if I could take one thing away from the season as I look to the next, I think the one of the biggest lessons is not to give up just because something is hard and also to trust in myself. Um, you know, it was a tough tour to ski. That was no secret. But I think if I had listened to all the people saying that I should give up and go home instead of trusting in my body and myself and the team, then I would not have stayed in the top three overall. And instead, I fought for it because I knew I was in a healthy place and a good place with my body, and I knew it was worth fighting for. So I think... 
just, you know, if there's anything I want little kids to take away from this, it's don't give up just because something is hard. Um, it's okay to move on to something else if, if, you know, if you're not healthy or if something happens. But if you are healthy and you're in a good place, it's okay to keep fighting for your goals. And I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, talking about the bright future, it is so, so cool to see so many athletes getting their first World Cup starts this year. One that really stands out is Sammy Smith. She is only 17 years old, but she has done such an impressive job. Um, come over with so much enthusiasm and spark and energy, and it's been so, so fun to get to help mentor her. And um, just seeing the team really shine, it's been awesome and just so fun to be a part of. And it's fun to kind of be a team mom to these younger athletes and seeing them just absolutely find their footing and know that they belong at the world cup has been so cool and then last um what is next for me going home to my husband wade i'm so so excited he is so incredibly supportive of me and what i'm doing over here because it's not just trying to win races it's trying to um inspire the next generation it's trying to spark healthy conversations around mental health and it's trying to talk about climate change and empower little girls to go out there and try to push their best so I think um it's it's about a lot of things and I'm so grateful for his unconditional support and love and that's a big reason why I have found success um fun fact every single one of my uh world cup podiums has come after I started dating him so there you go (laughs) It's all because of Wade. Um, And now we're headed for a little bit of vacation time, a little bit of beach time, a little bit of sunshine, maybe a little surfing, who knows. Um, And then mostly hanging out in Boston. So I'm very excited, so proud of this team, and so, so grateful to the team for everything that they have done for us. Well, there's Jessie Dickens. Just heard from her. She's got a lot that she is doing, inspiring the next generation for sure in these performances. It's really remarkable, you know, and I know on this show we spend some time, like, you know, nitpick technique and all that stuff. And by the way, brought up the fact, too, on my last show that if someone was doing that to me, I would feel self-conscious about that. So I, 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 the, I guess I'm giving myself the lights to it. It's like, hey, this is this is part of the show. I wouldn't I wouldn't like someone to nitpick my technique, but too bad. This isn't this isn't like the golden rule applies, I don't think. <laughs> because part of it is uh you know, some people who go, "Oh no, I I want you to rip apart my technique because I think it's good for for us to analyze these things." But um so as far as that goes, it's almost more remarkable that Diggins can be the poster child, it seems like for some people, for pundits like me, as someone who doesn't have perfect technique and yet still is world class. I think that actually is something to take from all this too is in this sport you can get a little too hung up on oh you got to have the perfect angles. Oh you've got to have perfect form. Like everything's got to be perfect and in terms of technique and all these analytical things. Uh and Diggins kind of is just like, you know what, you can do a lot on heart, hard work, discipline and just grit. And that's a really valuable message. I like how she also brings up this idea of like, you know, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's that's the litmus te- test for quitting. We we are definitely, I think, confusing kids a little too much, e- even in sports, with this idea of, um, you know, 
pay hyper attention to all the signals and signs and everything and like uh and then drop out if you need to and you know sports is a vehicle for so many transcendent lessons and i think we rob kids of that when we get a little too hypersensitive and so yeah diggins was getting shellacked by the media being told she needs to drop out and there was so much criticism and for her to like have the internal awareness of you know i actually think my body's fine right now and i'm not overtrained and this is part of the plan part of the process and i i want to go out there and fight for some more points and then go and do that is remarkable because it's one thing to have you know one person maybe one coach or one parent saying hey i think you're looking a little fried maybe you should sit out tomorrow and kind of going oh man I don't know if I am. I think I should go compete. But that person said I am not, and I kind of trust them. But to have, like, the entire world, the Norwegians, uh, ski world, you know, just hyper talking about this, I can't imagine that. And so that is kind of twofold lessons there is not not only the one she brought up of it's okay to fight through things that are tough. It's also okay to um, take a chance on yourself and trust your own intuition when it comes to your performance, your body, those things. And, and then again, yeah, that overarching theme of like, you don't have to be perfect like Clabo <laughs> to win. You know, you can, you can do a lot on fight and guts and all that. And so Diggins definitely brings that out for sure. Um, and with that, I think it's time here before we go, we need to lay out our categories here for the end of year awards. Okay, now keep in mind, some of these are still developing. So plan is I'm going to throw at some of these categories, throw at some of these nominees, and then I want to hear from you. Email us, cedarskier at gmail.com, and tell us, do you have a category? Do you have some extra nominees for the categories that we've already pitched? Do you have a, a good case for a winner in any of these categories? Any and all of it. Send us an email. I want to have your thoughts. You could have them read on the next cedarskier.com or cedarskier podcast. It'd be great. Okay, so what do we got, Ajay? Ajay says this will work. She's back. I know I made her come back, even though it's her day off. So what do we got here? First category, pretty obvious. Male Performer of the Year. And the nominees, Johannes, who is like Clabo, Federico, Pellegrino, and Paul Goldberg. That's Male Performer of the Year. Female Performer of the Year nominees right now. You could add your own. Send us an email. Jesse Diggins. Tirto Udnes Vang. Ebba Anderson. Astrid Slind. Male Race of the Year. We got Pellegrino takes down Clabo. That's one nominee. Another nominee we've got is Goldberg takes down Clabo. I noticed the, the Pellegrino takes down Clabo. We didn't even need... A description. You probably just knew what it was, right? Davos Sprint. Uh, Paul Goldberg takes down Klabo in the 50K at World Championships. That's the second nominee. The third nominee, Kruger, dismantles the skiathlon field. Male race of the year. There's probably more, but we just didn't have time. And we know this can be ongoing. This will be a fun conversation with Grip Wax Nation, so why not? Let's put a few out there. Female race of the year. Diggins gets 10K gold. 
That's number one. Number two nominee, the entire women's Holman Colon 50K. It was a pretty thrilling finish, pretty thrilling race. There's a lot of history there. Newness, that's a good one. Uh, number three, Ebba Anderson wins the skiathlon. She just won by such dominating fashion, I feel like. Okay, I can't... Sorry, I won't... Uh, I'm so tempted to provide commentary and defense, right? I want you to provide commentary and defense, so send us your thoughts. Do you have another race that you think? Why or why not? Do you like one of these more than another? Tell me why. Write a paragraph, okay? Five-paragraph essay would even be better, probably. Uh, okay, now we get to some of the fun categories here. The first one, the preposterous statement of the year. Number one... Okay, first of all, I don't have the direct quotes here. I got to go back and look these up, but these are like notes from throughout the year. Petter Nortug says Clavo's not the best. I'm pretty sure Nortug said something along those lines about because he doesn't have all the world championship medals or something like that. We got to find it up. If you if you know what I'm talking about, you, you know the article, the quote. If you have audio, even better. In fact, for all of these, if you have audio for any of these, insane. I mean, I guess I, I can go back and try and listen to some of the quotes of the year it, I, you know some of my sound files from Ben Ogden it's like one after the uh, the next quote of the year we'll, we'll find some for our next show next week I got a whole week to work on it I can find some more but that's a pretty good one preposterousness the other one Diggins is overtrained that ended up being preposterous when all the uh, Norwegian coaches were saying she was overtrained third one Nortug again Nortug said his brother hasn't done anything yet that was <laughs> early in the year I think when his brother won a Vita stolen, like, pre-World Cup race. He's like, well, let's see what happens on the World Cup or whatever. I don't know if that's that preposterous, but I put it in there. Again, don't have the direct quotes. You need to get those. Another one. Swedes cheating with floros say it's weird for the U.S. to be taking pictures. No, it's not. No, you're the weird one. You're the Dumbo. Um, oh, this was a good one. Klabo says his year is over after he missed uh, <laughs> the overalls over. After he missed a couple of those races, he was, he's like, I'm done. In fact, the Translate quote said something along the lines of, I'm done skiing. I posted it on my Facebook page. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was an onion piece or something. But yeah, that's that. how preposterous did that end up being. Um, and then, oh, I have in here. Oh, next one. David Norris says he took the Master Blaster approach to get to Worlds. we got to find the audio for that and play that. That's a good one. Um, next insert person saying athletes need a feed at 11 minutes in my need someone needs to go back to ski and live give me the timestamp because i'm sure it happened 11 minutes into some 20k you know one of the announcers is probably like and it's very important for them to get their feeds in if you can find that or anything else from a from a broadcast i'm sure there are preposterous heck i probably said something that's patently preposterous on a few of the races i did too so i'm not spared if you find something that i said that that's probably the best category we have so Go now, Cedar Skier Nation, Grip Wax Nation. Go forth and find ridiculous quotes from ski racers, from ski media people, from broadcasters. It's all fair game and send them to me. You got a week. You've got a week to send us some more nominees. Uh, best Sport Hill Slow Mo of the Year. Okay, this one. I don't know how I'm going to beat this, but this the feed zone guy who launched the bottle across four rows to a moving Porima in the World Championships mass start was insane. So that's a pretty good one. Uh, Rosie Brennan hits the deck with such a massive fall. It deserves a slow-mo, deserves its own award. Also, speaking of celebrations, even though I wasn't talking about celebrations at all, at Junior Nationals, this one kid who won the sprint, I think it was in the U16 boys, he, like, was so far ahead, he pulls his pole around his hand like it's a fishing pole and then reeled in something. It was incredibly decadent for a sprint celebration, and I almost started laughing watching it, so that's a good one. 
Uh, Sport Hill Slow-Mo of the Year, there's probably more. In fact, I probably mentioned some more, but I think that one might be wrapped up. If you've got something that you saw that was weird... Oh, we got to add this in. The dog. I was just like, don't forget the dog. Dog wanders onto Holman Colon Course. Peers into the eyes of Kruger. That was a good one. Quote of the Year. Oh, man. Ben Ogden saying he listens to the Cedar Scare podcast is a good quote. Also, again, a lot of other Ben Ogden quotes. This one doesn't have to be preposterous. It can just be any quote. The other one I have on here is when Chad Salamella said on his recent Threshold podcast that the Diggins rock skis he used were the best pair of skis he's been on in a while. I thought that was a quote of the year because it's illuminating. There's a lot of discussion we could go there. We talk about ski speed and how unfair it is when these random pros hop into your American Berkey and try to beat you, just the poor citizen's racer working on that seven-year-old pair of Fisher RCSs. Um, most impressive feat. Here we go. We got Klabo opens a tour to ski with six straight wins. Klabo wins 20 races. Emma Anderson's World Championships. Kruger's World Championships. Diggins coming back in the 20K and the tour to ski after people said she was overtrained. Norris makes worlds in the same year that he races the alley loop. And Ryan Cedarquist double pulls up Independence Pass. We'll throw that one in there. Um, if you think there's some more impressive feats, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people with some opinions on that. Impressive feat. could be a race. could be a moment in a race, a comeback, a relayed leg. I don't care. Something that you were just blown away by from a performance perspective, send it to me. I want to hear from you. I want more categories. I want you to do my research for me. I want all that to take place. And then send me an email at cedarscare.gmail.com. We'll see how many people are listening. We'll see how many people are active participants. And the plan is next week... We'll have another podcast. We'll talk about recapping the World Cup as a whole. And um, we'll give you a chance. We'll vote on some of these. We'll get some audio clips put into place so we can really have a fun time reliving some of these moments. And then we will we'll vote on it. And we'll show that in another week. Now, if for some reason, I know I just promised that this next show is going to drop in a week. There's a lot going on. Okay, Michaela Schifrin's coming to Vail on Saturday or Sunday. Um... We're going to watch Garrison Keeler. Hopefully, I'm going to get Garrison Keeler's autograph. So, got a date with my wife. It's a big deal. Um, things could get hectic, is what I'm trying to say. So, if we have to push it two weeks, fine. And of course, if you guys don't send me any emails, you know what am I supposed to do here? Okay, this is your show. Actually, it's my show, but it's it's run by the people. Okay. Anyway, that's all. That's all for you. That's all for the World Cup this season. And um, away we go. Keep on striving. Keep on skiing. Clabo?